I voted for. <laughs> Not saying. <laughs> And I hope whoever your candidate is fares well, and, or whatever your ordinance, or whatever it is that you care about and passionate about, I hope it comes to fruition. So, admittedly, I thought of this evening's topic as I was sitting here. So, and what, not unconnected to thoughts I had earlier in the day, and over this weekend I was out of town leading a retreat, and, and I was very closely surrounded by two people in the community where I was leading the retreat, two people in the community, two women in the community, who both within the last few weeks lost their partners. And so there was a, a poignancy. You know, each person in their own way felt naturally disoriented, having their whole sense of reference rearranged, their whatever illusion of certainty they had opened up the truth of the uncertainty of their new life to emerge and, and there was just a palpable sense in spite of the in one case it was someone who had had a long illness and another one it was sudden but in um, in either case there was a great sense of loss and in the meantime I in, in the along with this actually beautiful experience of being with these two people and in this community that, that I've been serving for a long time. This was in some way so, so much a part of, of the teachings that I, were, I was offering this weekend, even though I didn't mention this at all. You know, they were just fellow participants, but I did have, since they were part of the organizing team of the of the town, they came to dinner, and so we were all together for the evening uh, after the first day of the retreat. It was a non-residential retreat. So meanwhile, we're, we're, I was offering a retreat on the liberation of the Buddha, and it's so perfect in a way because death, the fact of it, was the Buddha's guru. That was the Buddha's teacher. That's what opened up his consciousness in the form of, as you probably, most of you have read Buddha Dharma, the Buddha is said to have come into contact with what are called the four heavenly messengers. The four heavenly messengers are, well, I'll just give them to you one by one. I'll back, I'll back up a little bit. The Buddha was like us, just uh, zooming through his life, surrounded by tremendous comfort and pleasure, 
just going from one thing to the next, you know, looking for a way to, to feel happy, at sharing that universal desire to be happy and to be free of suffering. And his father, as the, the story goes, his father had got a wind that it, there was something special about his son. And that if his son was exposed a little bit too much to reality, that he would no longer be stay in the family business, be the prince of the kingdom, no longer expand the, the lands, he would actually potentially he would leave and become a, a world teacher. <clears throat> this is the way the story goes. But you can take it literally, you can take it symbolically. You don't have to believe this. But he was, so his father did everything to surround him with enough sense pleasures to repeat themselves over and over, not to create any space for anything that would might stir his mind into some kind of a renunciation of his life of comfort. But he was, he felt, he started to feel a little restless with all the, with all the, the um, stuff and pleasure. It wasn't really striking at the heart of what makes us truly happy. Of course, later on, he was called the happy one. So there's something happened that allowed him to be able to take that name in a way. He didn't name himself that. He, he would refer to himself as the Tathagata, the one who knows suchness, the one who knows that deep interbeing and connection with life, right where it touches us. But at this point, he was restless and he just started trying to go against his father and kind of wander around the, the lands and just let him take in the life there. And he came across somebody similar in age to him who was extremely ill. And that shook him up because he saw somebody similar age. He thought, well, I could get sick too, extremely ill. He began to feel that, that trembling, that vulnerability, that it's just such a part of our nature if we're honest. Then he wandered around a little bit more and saw an extremely old person. And his father tried to surround him with only uh, youth. And then he saw in his wanderings, he saw a corpse, a dead person. So these are considered the three heavenly messengers. The first three of the four. Sickness, old age, death. And logically, we all know that this is, this is the game. This is what it's about. We know that this life, to any notion of finding lasting happiness in a life that's in this body that gets sick and old and dies, in changing experience, we know there's something fundamentally empty about this whole existence. And he saw this with, the, with tremendous sensitivity because he was so innocent in a way. He saw the truth of this and it just shook him to the bones. 
And most of us spend our life moving as fast as we can from this truth, not looking at it. And in his case, he, um, it caused a deep, almost a deep revulsion and a question, you know, is this going to happen to me? Yes. This is going to happen to me? Yes. Is this going to happen to me? Yes. And he thought to himself, why, if I am subject to this kind of vulnerability, this kind of unsatisfactoriness, this kind of unreliability, why should I keep seeking that which is also vulnerable? All the pleasures, they're fleeting, they leave in their wake all kinds of continued dissatisfaction. And he, he felt this intense, this word in Pali is samvega. He felt this intense dismay and shock and dismay at the futility of finding anything permanent in this world of changing conditions. And he began to fall into a kind of despair, as one does if they really open to this without any kind of anchor, without any kind of balance. Easy, we can see, we can, if we ponder this over and over, you just get depressed, in a way, if you just keep thinking about this. But fortunately, he not only saw sickness, old age, and death, but he saw a, a person who was an obvious renunciate of this, this compulsive running from silence that we mostly do. Someone who represented the quality that, is, that, that awakened in the Buddha's mind of what's called pasada, which is this calm and serene clarity that knows that there's a way out. That there is a way to be happy and free in this very life in spite of the, in spite of the inevitable sickness, old age, and death. That it's possible to touch something in our very nature that is deathless. It's unconditioned. That's not subject to the same vulnerability. So these two qualities, so this quality of pasada, this quality of serene clarity is precisely the balance for this, this what could be an overwhelming feeling of despair when you just open to life. Because we're all always touching it a little bit. But mostly what happens in our life is we're told to run from it. We hide our elderly people in senior homes and hospitals, and we dress up our corpses. We, we see mostly presented, other than the Viagra commercials, or we mostly see young people. So there is this, there is this, 
chronic, and I think it's very human, I think it was also true at the time of the Buddha, there's a, a chronic ten, tendency to uh, enchantment with being young, identification with being young, and then thinking old and aging is somehow bad, wrong, I don't want to do it. So we keep running from silence by trying to, by being so identified and chasing youth. And it's all of its beautification. I used to have the, after 22 years of teaching, I got all of my talk notes and all my readings that I had accumulated. accumulated. I got them stolen from the foyer of the church here. And in there was this um, story about this cosmetic surgery place on Fifth Avenue in New York. And the interview was with the, the doctor who ran the place and who spoke with such pride about how she could, how people would just come to her in droves trying to recapture the, the glow of, of youth and, and just with complete ignorance and complete almost denial of no matter how much you do. Sickness and old age and death are inevitable. So we're taught to stay enchanted with youth, enchanted with health, and that's not admit our vulnerability on that level, but life tends to conspire to wake us up. And then to think that death is the enemy, even though it is just the natural part of existence. Definition of birth from the Wiley's Dictionary. Definition of birth is the leading cause of death. And every being that is born follows the same path. Now why is that uncomfortable for us? When it's, when all seven billion or six and a half, seven billion of us will be replaced within a hundred years. Why is that so weird? And it, because we're, we're actually, in some ways, taught not to, not to, um, to deal with it exactly. And the, or, we're, you know, if we really see it for a while, we may get depressed. And what do we do when we're told to do when we're depressed? Take delight in the simple things. Have a good time. Go enjoy the sights and sounds. Or, as one person told me, they had a big loss in their life. Somebody I just met with recently. A big loss, and they said they spent the next two years being... Sorry, my foot's asleep. <laughs> they, they spent the next two years being reckless. Drinking, smoking, partying, trying many new things, but just running like hell from the truth of what had happened. Basically taught to keep ourselves entertained. You know, and if all that fails, you go to your therapist and, and you talk it out, or you eventually get some kind of, you know, some kind of uh, support, you know, and it's very reasonable to, you know, sometimes to, sometimes we need to take some kind of a support in the form of mind-balancing drugs. But there's, 
most of the time, the response to the difficulties of life is we're kind of encouraged to set the bar a little lower, not be so idealistic, not, not think that it's, think that maybe this is as happy as I can be in this life. But what the, what the Buddha said, what the Buddha realized is, is that if you truly open to this and you follow a path of wisdom and love and non-harming and mental training and devote your life as impermanent as it may be, devote your life to waking up, to non-harming, to, to uh, unleashing your, your service, your goodwill. You really give yourself, make it the hub around which you live your life. Not acquisition is the hub around which you live your life. But awakening, that if you, then you will grow in this and balance the, the, the natural sensitivity and vulnerability and even despair that can come with opening to life. You balance it with this serene, clear quality of um, pasada, of that you know that there's a way to live. There's a way to, to get out of the turmoil that gets generated in our mind, reactivity that gets generated in our mind habitually by trying to avoid life's truth. As you let go of that reactivity, you dwell in the living present, in life. And it turns out that life is deathless. This physical life, of course, but life itself is just a, in a constant transformational process. But it's, there's inexhaustible aliveness. But if you do that, you can, in this very life, wake up and be your version of Sukiya, the happy one. So basically, the, the Buddha suggested in his teaching, in his early teaching, even though there's debate now in the teachings whether, even though the Buddha mentioned the Four Noble Truths in the first talk to his ascetic friends, that the real heart of the Buddha's teaching is opening to impermanence. That that really is the, the main hub around which the teachings revolve, is, is um, confronting or coming to terms with the fact of impermanence in every form and every shape that it takes in our life. That, and the most frequently repeated line in monasteries and Throughout the world is uh, that all conditioned things 
All compounded things, conditioned things, all things that arise have the nature to pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings great happiness. So this is not the way we usually approach impermanence. We usually treat it as the enemy. It is the avoidance of this that is the enemy of our happiness. Facing this is ultimately the friend of our happiness. Not the message you get in the marketplace. So it's a little, at first it's a little hard to hear. Nobody wants to, usually nobody wants to talk about sickness, old age, and death. Makes us a little, like, oh, that's not very fun. Let's have some fun. But it's that truth that makes us tremble, calls us back to ourselves, <clears throat> calls us back to what am I doing here with my life? Am I just running from silence? Am I just running from myself, running from the truth of my existence? Or am I embracing it? Am I dying into life before I die? Or am I busy trying to get somewhere? Where is my mind? Is it on tomorrow? I asked my friend Hanuman that I often speak to, I said, what should I talk about tonight? And he says that worry has no value. We know that. But what do we do? So much of our day and our night is worrying about a future that never arrives. And we color our present moment, the only place that we can, that we can resolve our existence. We spend our present time worrying about what's next, as though that what's next is the source of our well-being. I always say, first things first. Let's resolve our well-being and then see if how things turn out. But not from the ex not from the vantage point that my well-being depends on that. Your well-being is unconditional. Nothing can make us happier than we can find right where we sit. That's not what you hear in the marketplace. When the going is tough, life gets true, the, you know, the tough go shopping. We just go. And I am, I am a classic, uh, I was trained in that. I am, I am a master shopper, greed type. And uh, I used to judge that really harshly, and I don't want to tell the whole story. But I used to judge it until uh, my heart cracked one day. And I realized that all that, all that seeking of stuff was just a, a way to somehow resolve my vulnerability. I mostly needed to be held. 
in loving kindness, in presence. But I was busy. I didn't know that. I didn't, so I, would, I just used whatever I could to hug myself. And uh, once I realized that all of it was trying to resolve this incredible vulnerability that we have, not just vulnerability to sickness, old age, and death, but just the vulnerability to being, having to live a life where our senses are being impinged upon day in and day out. Everything that we have to do, it's not an easy thing to be a, a human. It's not even, it's not easy to be any kind of sentient being, any being that draws breath or comes into existence. It's not easy. Yet somehow, we have this idea that if my life's not easy, there's something wrong with me. That it's my fault. And that some people kind of, some people are uh, happy. They're not truly happy unless they know their true nature. Unless they, they've experienced the, the cessation of that contentiousness with life. The absence of that, the opening to reality, that kind of letting go, letting be. And then the, the good news is, is that that sense of happiness or well-being is, ends up being our natural state, but we can spend a lifetime running from it. And I, hope, I don't know whether you've ever articulated why you come on Tuesday nights or what you're here for. The possibility is that it's part of your enlightenment, freedom, happiness, that it's not just something to calm down, that you're actually connecting with, with a, um, a path of serene clarity that lets you know inwardly that there is a way to be free in this very life, even with all the circumstances that we find ourselves in. In some ways, not dependent on those circumstances. And that, that sense of well-being doesn't so much depend on what's happening, but it depends on how I meet what's happening. Am I here in this moment resisting it? Am I trying to make something happen? Am I telling myself a story about what's the, what it's lacking or what it should have, could have? Or am I really taking this in? Am I letting myself, in spite of the vulnerability that pervades my life, am I taking in the beauty of that? Beauty of it. The amazingness that I'm here. And I haven't lost what I'm going to lose yet. I certainly don't want to miss that. But it's very easy to kind of go through sleepwalking. So hopefully you use this time to wake up and get a little more comfortable with the heavenly messengers of sickness, old age, and death, and really get to know the heavenly messenger of awakening, of pasada, of this hope and possibility of awakening in this very life.
You know, when the Buddha gave a discourse, I would never say it like this, but when the Buddha would give a discourse, he would say, to be seen here and now by the wise. He didn't say there and then. So to be seen here and now. To be realized here and now. So there's no time like right now to wake up to the facts and wake up to life. The freedom that is natural to you. Regardless of where you came from or where you're going. Because we all know we came from conditions that were not our own making and we're going who knows where, influenced by everything that happens. We're vulnerable. But right in the middle of it, we can, we can really work. I don't mean work in the sense of tightening up. Work in the sense of, can I do this really, really, really well? Can I speak kindly? Can I just learn to zip it a little bit when that impulse to strike out comes? I just did that recently. I just let my stinger come out and I've been reverberating from having caused harm with my speech for the last week or so. So even though I can speak about this, I'm a work in progress. And uh, can I do, can I do care for this body and mind so that I have mental strength, so that I, that I keep my mind enlightened. Like I talked about last night, meditation is not a means of enlightenment, it's enlightenment itself. Can I keep myself here, keep my mind as much as possible in the most gentle way, free of its chronic preoccupations? Not that they won't come up, but just keep directing and sustaining my attention here. So that light of attention shines brighter and brighter. And that the present moment, this is, the, this is what I hope for everybody, that the present, only time that life exists, that this becomes so compelling that you don't want to be somewhere else. How much of my life I spent wanting to be somewhere else. What a shame. Fortunately, at age 20 and whatever, early 20s, I realized it. I go, oh my Lord, I've never been present before. I've always wanted to be somewhere else or on to the next thing. I have been driven by restlessness. Now, some of us got restless because it was completely unsafe to be present. But devote your life to metabolizing whatever that was that made it unsafe for you to be here. Or whatever continues to make it unsafe for you to be here. Do what's necessary to care Oops, sorry. Care for yourself. <laughs> So sorry. <laughs> Tuesday night, the cause of our <laughs> cause of a reaction. I'm always hoping it'll be the cause of peace, but 
Anything can happen here. <laughs> so I think all of this is an invitation to, to wake up, to realize that, that story I always read from, from Anthony DeMello where, you know, where he talks about his, he wakes up his, his son and says it's time to get up and go to school. He says, I don't want to go to school. I don't like school. Kids tease me. And the dad says, I'll give you three reasons why you have to go to school. It's your duty, you're 45 years old, <laughs> and you're the headmaster. <laughs> so, you are the headmaster. No one's going to awaken you for you. No one's going to resolve your, your happiness other than, than your own your own mind training, your own heart training. No one's going to give you self-compassion except you. Of course, we do catch love and compassion from people who, who have it and offer it, but we really do have to regard ourselves, because we're so vulnerable, we have to regard ourselves with so much mercy and kindness. I, don't, I think it's completely an insane habit to be self-recriminating, self-critical. It's a total lack of, I mean, I understand how it came to be, how we internalized it, how we, how we fell into, we were in situations where people defined us in ways where we thought we were not okay. But part of our waking up is to see that we can't help how we came to be and so any kind of judgment about ourselves, any kind of harshness, just assumes that everything's our fault and it's not. And that there's not, not a moment should go by where we're anything but merciful and kind. So, so we have this precious human birth that the Buddha talked about, said it's more rare to be born a human than, than a little turtle sticking its head up through a yoke in the middle of the ocean or something. It's so, it's so rare and precious to have this kind of possibility of, of awakening. The perfect human condition, the perfect human birth is to be able to have a, some, the measure, the balance of pleasure and pain and gain and loss, joy and sorrow, so that, so that you, don't, you don't get so comfortable that you check out, you don't get so uncomfortable that you're burning up all the time, but that you can use it all in the service of awakening. To make something of our life. To be free. So don't just land in misery about existence. Develop your mind so that you have that pasada, you have that serene, clear confidence that right in the middle of it there's a way out. There's happiness and peace. So may all beings have happiness and peace and the causes of happiness and peace growing. May all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering diminishing. And may, may we all never be separated from the living present, even when we're dying. That's our protection. Never be separated from awareness, which is our protection. 
never be separated from love, which is the salve on our hearts. May all beings be liberated. May our practice here on Tuesday and every day, every waking moment, be dedicated to the awakening of ourselves and all beings. Thanks for your generosity and supporting Mission Dharma. See you next time. I hope I see you next time. <laughs> you never know. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.